This is a Ward Scott Files advisory. The Ward Scott Files podcast may contain material not suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile houseplants, and liberal relatives. Thank you. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Good morning, good morning. Professor Ward Scott here in the Manly Warthog Man Cave in the Mellon Law Studio. Mellon Law, with 50 years of experience, won't back down. The only official law firm partner of the Fighting Gators who look as if they might be on track. We'll find out this weekend if they can get past uh, Vanderbilt. Then they'll have the big challenge with the in-state rival FSU, who is no slouch. So we'll see how that goes. And, of course, uh, protected 24-7, 365 by our good friends at Crime Prevention. And always check out the mug shots to make sure you're not there, I guess, is the first thing to determine. Um, well, we are so fortunate to have uh, Ted Yoho, uh, with us on Wednesdays, and he uh, is the only guy I know in, uh, in government who actually term limited himself, and I'm mad at him for it. But, uh, you know, I'm not the only one. All the others have made a professional uh, um, estate out of being a government official, I guess. But, uh, uh, you know, we don't get into that unless there's some reason to talk about it on a topic we're getting to. And there's no question about what the topic is. Uh, Trump went out and declared again uh, that he's going to tr- give it another shot. And, of course, it was kind of a low-energy uh, announcement and not typically in his character. Ted and I talked about that before we went hot on the mic. And a lot of other people have noticed it. And he's just not generating the same call to service that he did before, although we agree that he did a lot of good things. Um it's time probably to move on. We'll see how this plays out. So we got a lot of questions uh, we're going to take up. If you have a question, come in on the chat line and let us see what it is, and I'll convey it. So, uh, Ted, good morning, sir. Hey, good to be here, Ward. Look forward to this. This will be a, a hour pack of good information. Well, let's, uh, let's uh, defer to you then right away and <laughs> get you started because you have been there, and I think the thing that you – bring a special uh, uh, talent to uh, experience is this um, configuration, if you will, now of the house. And I'd really like to just sit back and listen to your game analysis of this. And um, and, and if you, those of you who are checking in here, coming to class, put something on the chat line, I'll pass it along. So I'm going to be all ears for a while, Ted, because I know you are disappointed uh, we're all disappointed that the red tsunami um, really was a trickle. So take it away, sir. Yeah, you know, it was a big disappointment. You know, um, the Republican Party raised uh, $500 million in RCC. Uh, Mitch McConnell had more money than he, they've ever had. And they didn't spend this money wisely. Mitch McConnell didn't uh, support the guy in Arizona who said he wasn't going to support McConnell as speaker. Mitch McConnell pulled out of that. Um, the rhinos, I think the rhinos got identified real well. 
And, um, you know, um, the seats that we won, we're thankful for, but it should have been a lot, lot better. And, and it, it's funny how the blame game starts, you know, because the Trump endorsed candidates, he won, I, I think he was in the 90% in the primaries. So everybody's praising him. Then when the general comes, these people lost, so they blame Trump. It's all his fault. You know, no, it's not. It's going back to the basics. The candidates going out there knocking on doors. The candidates, you know, getting their message across. Uh, everybody puts all this emphasis on money. There's too much dang money in politics. Um, and, and so we're left with what we have. We have a, 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 a small majority in the House. We've lost the Senate, which I still can't believe we lost the Senate. We should never have lost that. So what that bodes is new leadership. Mitch McConnell needs to go, and I think Rick Scott's going to challenge him. Uh, I know Rubio wants him gone. Um, uh, a lot of senators want Mitch McConnell gone. I'm thankful for what he did do. Uh, you know, he held up Merrick Garland from becoming Supreme Court justice, and I think we should always be grateful for that. But at this point in time in our country's history, he needs to go, and I'd love to see somebody like a Rick Scott move into the leadership role up there. Um, in the House side, you know, Kevin McCarthy was toted as this, the next Speaker of the House. He's raised a lot of money. Again, the emphasis is on money, and to me, money is the thing that corrupts uh, Washington. And if our politicians would learn to wean themselves off of raising money and focus on the problems of this nation, we'd be better off. That being said, Kevin McCarthy had a hundred point plan he talked about, but it was a wish list. It wasn't concrete of what they're going to do. And they really, at this point in time in our country, like I said, go back to the basics. They need to focus on about five things. And I'm glad to see Andy Big stepped up because he and I have been texting back and forth along with other members of the Freedom Caucus about somebody's got to stand up and challenge uh, McCarthy. And if, if nobody's willing to throw my name in there again, <laughs> And I said, I'd be happy to run against them because what we wanted to do is get our 12 appropriations bills passed before anything else comes up. And lo and behold, that's on their agenda that they're going to bring up the 12 spending bills and get them out of the way early so that they can focus on solving the problems of this country. And Kevin McCarthy won't do that. Kevin's going to be up there. He's going to be, uh, um, you know, just um, uh, a spokesperson and tell you how hard he's working, you know, kind of like Boehner did. And they're not going to be working to right this country in the direction it needs to go. And I was disappointed because I saw our, my old representative, my replacement, sport, she's out there. She's going to support Kevin McCarthy. She's a, supporting the establishment instead of saying, we need change. You know, when I got out of Congress, or when I got in, we were at $14 trillion in debt. When I got out, we are at $28 trillion. Now we're $31 trillion, and they want to put the same people in leadership. It's not going to work. I mean, Ward, you were in business. If you have somebody that's running your business, and they can't get the books managed, they can't run the business, and you're going backwards every year, you wouldn't keep that person in your business. So why should we keep these people in office? Well, you know, you've alluded to something that I've always been big on, and that's structure and change of command and clear lines of authority and duty and all that business. If I ever become involved with any organization, that's the first thing I go in and try to do. In fact, when I became the Senate president at Santa Fe, I uh, had a constitutional revision committee. I re rewrote the Constitution because um, the college had changed and the Constitution was outdated. First thing I saw is we need to bring this thing in alignment with where we are right now. 
We worked real hard on that. That's just me. That's the way I approach it. So, um, and I think that would put you, and you have to have a good model everybody understands and buys into. Did I hear you right to say you would run for the Speaker of the House? I mean, uh, yeah. No, you don't have to be elected. You can be an outside person. Um, um, So that's possible you could run for Speaker. The point is, somebody's got to stand up. If nobody will stand up, nothing's going to change. Well, throw, your hat in the, throw your hat in the ring, man. Let's see what happens. you got nothing to lose. Well, Andy Big stood up. And, you know, all you have to have is about 20, I think it's 26 people that vote against Kevin McCarthy. And it goes to round two of voting in the House. And we almost did that with Boehner. The important thing, though, is he's made his name available. And so we got to look at our representatives. Are they going to support? the Teflon Dons like Kevin McCarthy that gets in there and won't do anything. He's going to play the political game. Um, are you going to vote somebody that's in there really to change and make this country better? Um, so, yeah, I did put my name in there and that's kind of what happened to me when I did run against Boehner. It was down to the, to the wire. It was Saturday night before the vote on Tuesday, the following Tuesday. And, um, uh, Dan Webster was supposed to announce that he was running and he wouldn't. In fact, Ron DeSantis was on that call with us. And Ron goes, Yoho, we can't vote against Boehner if we don't have an alternative. And Jim Bridenstine, who was a classmate of mine, who <coughs> became the director of NASA, he goes, Well, Yoho, if nobody else will run, you'll put your name in there, won't you? And I said, Damn it, if nobody else will run, throw my name in there. So now you have an alternative. You don't have an excuse not to vote against Boehner. And that's how that happened. And uh, I was happy. I got two votes. <laughs> <laughs> and everybody laughed at me, said I've been so embarrassed. I says, why? Because McCarthy only got one. He's been here a heck of a lot longer than I did. I got twice as many as he did. But th- the point is, you've got to stand up and do these things. If not, the Republicans are going to put Kevin in there, and it's going to be the same thing we've seen for the last 30 years. Our nation can't survive this. Well, one of the analyses that I was given by one of my members of the research team, which was excellent, and I, uh, I'll need to pass it along to you, was uh, done by Victor Davis Hanson, yeah. and he was interviewed by the Prime Minister of Australia. And I'll send that along to you. It's a fascinating discussion. Of course, Victor Davis Hanson is a giant intellect and sure. an agrarian. He's an agrarian and a war historian. And he made the point that you're making – that Gingrich had a contract with America. Right. And it was specific and it was not a wish list. This is what we're going to do. And people, he was able to sell that. It was structured. It was marketable. It was branded. It's still branded. The Republicans never got that together this time. They were all kind of diffused and pulling in different directions and banking too much overconfidence on the fact that they thought all the problems in the country would speak for themselves. And one of the points that Hanson made, which I thought was pretty interesting, uh, Biden was able to come in and convince the people that if you vote for a Republican, you're voting for a threat to democracy, which is exactly the opposite, of course. The real threats to democracy have been the open borders. You know, all this, you know, but he sold that. And the other thing he sold was the abortion issue to the single urban women. And we all know that there's more democratic uh, um, identity now to abortion than there ever was because 
each state you can go in and, and, and derive the policy. It's more democratic than it ever was. But he also <clears throat> sold to, he, he, it's, you know, it's amazing. It's right out of an Orwell book. If you well, want to. Uh, we're living in an Orwell society right now. People don't, they just, they don't believe it or they don't read it or they don't know what uh, 1984 the book is. But we're there. Well, that double think is the ability to hold two conflicting ideas in your mind at the same time and believe them both. And, uh, I, you know, that. so that was one of the Victor Davis Hanson's points was that um, it was a poor sales job and it was not the best use of the money to establish the brand and the contract that people could understand. Well, going back to Gingrich, and I've talked about this and I read his book, Contract for America. It's a great book. He had a 100-point plan, but more importantly, they had the, the mechanics already worked out and they had people that were going to be in charge of these committees where these bills came up and they passed these. And that was very good. Kevin doesn't have that. It's a wish list, like you said. One of the things was, well, we're going to tackle inflation. Well, that sounds great, but how, Kevin? There's not the mechanics. And if you look at it, the thing that's caused the inflation to grow the most is our energy policies. When Biden went against um, the drilling in America and energy security for America, you saw gas prices gone, went up, and that affects everything in the economy. You know, I don't care what you buy, it's affected by the price of petroleum. And uh, this administration has weakened our economy and they've weakened America in the, in the, in the uh, process. But I think we need to take a step back. How did we lose that wave? And you and I were speaking about this my last term in Congress was uh, uh, 2019 to 2021, and uh, Nancy Pelosi put forth H.R. 1, which was her primary bill, and it was called the People's Choice Act. It passed the House that year, um, didn't get signed into law, but it came up again, but they renamed it to the John Lewis Voting Rights Act, <clears throat> and they like to put names on there because if you vote against it, you're voting against John Lewis and you're voting against voting rights. And so then they use that, that you're, you're racist or you're against uh, giving people, you know, free and open elections. But that bill was very toxic because it, it allowed people to sign up the day of voting. You didn't have to prove residency or show citizenship. You didn't have to verify your signature. And so those things were enacted in Pennsylvania, Georgia, Wisconsin, Michigan, Nevada, and Arizona. And um, it, it increased the length of a, an election with mail-in ballots. So all this stuff was put in place um, two years ago or three, four years ago now when I was in Congress. Even though that People's Choice Act did not pass, it got enacted in those states I just mentioned. And now the John Lewis Voting Rights Act, that went into place. And look at the mess we've had since then. I mean, we remember Al Gore and uh, George Bush when they ran the hanging Chad and how Florida was such an embarrassment to the country. But then you look at this last election. We had our elections decided within 24 to 48 hours, I think. I can't remember the time period. But we've got Colorado and California, Arizona. They're still muddling through this process. And this comes down to they've extended it. They're, when you extend it, there's room for nefarious things to happen. And it leads to conspiracy theories being talked about, which divides our nation. You'd think they'd get with it, uh, at least uh, take the model that we've taken. And by the way, we've been pretty instrumental here locally 
on the Ward Scott files with pushing this, as you know, yeah. uh, when we found uh, the, 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 boat, the, boat, the beep voters in the jail and it started pushing out out until it became national. And of course, now it's really gotten its own identity with the governor and uh, the elections uh, integrity committee or whatever he's calling it. And he's hiring more inspectors, if you will, and um, more budget. And, you know, let's talk for a moment about what you see going on in Florida. It's really incredible, is it not, that we have all red counties, with the exception, of course, of Alachua County, which is uh, populated, as you know, by the DNA that was pushed out of the UFO landing in 1947 by the Lake of the Stupids. I'm sorry, that's where the DNA came for the Gaines Village. It had to come from somewhere. It's not not American what it is. Um, (laughs) That bastion of liberalism, that blue dot in north central Florida that I I was fortunate to represent. (laughs) Yeah, they see cow flagellation as an enemy to the environment, and and I don't know where they're going to get their food, but that doesn't cross their minds. <laughs> Blue green algae, I guess. I don't know. And by the way, I don't want to get off the track here, but the price of hay has doubled, Ted, uh, because of the fertilizer costs. Uh, Fuel. The, the cannot be made up on the other end with an increased price of cattle. Um, also, this whole thing works together. And talking with my friends in the restaurant business, a lot of restaurants now are under enormous stress because this price of food is of the raw materials passed on to the, re- to the restaurant, but they can't get it back in the prices they can sell it for. Plus, they have the pressure from the employees who want their money to keep up with the inflation. Sure. So the word I got yesterday, you know, I'm always doing a little research here and there and uh, people are contacting me is that get ready for a house cleaning in the restaurant business. Um, and I think, Ted, we're going to see more corporate farming because the backbone oh, of no America. Doubt. Huh? No doubt. I mean, yeah. that's that's the way it's going because you and I know a bunch of the farmers, Latchua County and around the surrounding areas. Uh, that next generation, they're looking at the struggles that their parents have and they love that way of life, but you can't you can't survive on agriculture like you used to could. And so the corporate farms are going to come in and then you're going to have the Walmarts of the farming community. You know, you're going to lose the mom and pops, just like we lost the mom and pop hardware stores and all the small restaurants, you know, the, the greasy spoons that were on every corner. Um, and so we're going to go to corporate farming and it'll be like going into a Walmart or in a Home Depot, you know, and unfortunately today people don't really care where their food comes from uh, unless they think it's got an NGO or um, uh, yeah, um, uh, a GMO in it. And um, then they, they get all up in arms about that. But really, you know, we've got food coming in from China. We've got food coming in from these countries that don't have the same standards we do. Um, but as long as it's on the shelf and it's, and it's cheap, they're going to buy it. Um, we've lost that that I think we talked about this last time, the, the sense of community, you know, the smaller communities where you right. knew people and you could be held accountable. That should apply to our food source too, I would think. Well, nothing makes me happier than to a dusty barnyard with a couple of barns full of hay and three or four tractors around and three or four dogs running around under your feet. I mean, that right. to me, and a fire pit going. 
uh, where you're burning the uh, where you or you you're burning the wraps off of, off the off the, the hay bales. So uh, that's you were talking goal. about the price of hay has more than doubled. It had to. You look at the price of, of fuel. Um, you've got to fertilize those fields, and I know Latchville County doesn't like fertilizers, but you can't have a high quality product that you're growing hay that's got um, a, a ten to a twelve. Uh, some of that stuff's got 15% protein in it. You can't have that without fertilizer. And if you don't have that, you're not going to have the production of the beef. Um, and it's just, it's, it's something that, again, the price of fuel affects everything else we do in society. And it uh, drives up the price. If the price of hay has to double, the price of cattle have to double. Or they have to go up um, in proportion. If not, those people go out of business. And as you said, it's going to be corporate farming. And, you know, we're talking about uh, where these votes came from that Biden plucked out of the urban area. You know, I doubt that the urban people have ever been in the barnyard I just described uh, ever. Oh, no, never. So he doesn't even need to appeal to that vote because that vote is not large enough in number. The barnyard, let's call it the barnyard vote, is not nearly enough to uh, compensate for the urban vote. And we've talked about this. This is um, this is disheartening. This is really fun. To me, this is the biggest fundamental change in America to go from a country that has two big bodies of water on either side of it with prevailing trade winds across it and river tributary system draining the continent from the middle uh, with huge uh, prairies in the the, the Midwest translated into commercial use in taking a family off that land. I think, it, you know, along with the Internet and all this, that's going to be the big one. It's not going to be how much the information age is transferred. It's going to be the fact that you people stop growing your food locally and you ain't going to get it back. Let me let me throw out something about corporate farming to, to really get people to think about this. And I hope it scares them. The biggest pork producer in America, Smithfield Farms, is owned by the Chinese. The Chinese control the largest pork producers in America. They could shut that down tomorrow. And you get these corporate farmers, they're, they're going to go for profit. And if they don't think beef is profitable, they'll, wear, they'll raise uh, avocados or something. I don't know what they're going to raise. But you're talking about the flyover districts because, you know, if what you're describing, the small rural areas. And if you look at the country, it's all red except for some spots that are blue, kind of like Alachua County. And if you go back to Hillary Clinton, that's where the deplorables live. You know, we don't need to focus on them because there's not enough votes there. And Biden is the same way with the MAGA crowd. Those are unpatriotic Americans. Shame on them for uh, loving the country or having Christian values or, you know, standing up for the Pledge of Allegiance. You know, we don't want those people because they're deplorables. Those are the, the insurrectionists. Um, yeah, we, we've got a challenge. And that's why the leadership in the House, especially with the small numbers, is so critical. You don't want a Teflon Don like um, Kevin McCarthy. I'm telling you, I've been there, and you don't want him as your speaker. And people need to call their local representative. Cat's uh, not my representative anymore. Uh, but she'll know where I stand on this, especially after being on your show. Um, but these people need to support somebody other than Kevin. Well, I'm going to have a write-in candidate. It's going to be Ted Yoho. <laughs> 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 and, 
<laughs> you know, along those lines, somebody uh, suggested that uh, Trump should come back and be involved in the Congress somehow. He could come back in uh, and maybe wield more power there than yeah. he would in the Oval Office. But, of course, that's not going to appeal to him. That's uh, not part of his uh, self-image, unfortunately. No, nah, that, wouldn't, that wouldn't work. That'd be, yeah. Well, again, you go back to, I don't want to rehash this too much. You would fire people if they perform this way in the business world. Look at look at how long a football coach at University of Florida stays if they've had a, a, a losing season and a half. Right. They're out of here tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm telling you. You get about, at the most, uh, two years. If you have two back-to-back losing records, though, it's not just whispers anymore. I mean, it's outright petitions being signed. Oh, it's know? ugly. It's oh, right. It gets now. ugly. It gets ugly. Talking with Ted Yoho here, and uh, we're about five minutes before a bottom of the hour break. I'm looking at our um, chat line here, and we've been uh, talking about leadership, basically. Essentially, and I look back on it, Ted, we've been lamenting the absence of leadership almost since we started the show together. I can remember every time we've talked, it, it, it's come up in some form yep. or another. And, you know, to me, the leader is the guy. Well, we got DeSantis as a model. I mean, he's about the best model of a leader we have right now. I mean, he takes on Disney. I mean, who would take on Disney? He says, we're not going to pull that. You're not going to pull that stuff here. You know, and he takes on the school system. You know, yeah, it's a big system, you know. Ron has done a very good job. I mean, he is showing that leadership, and he was at the uh, um, Republican Governors Association and was very well received. You know, he's he definitely on the national spotlight, and I think you'll see the the election. We haven't gotten into Trump, you know, other than he announced it was a little flat, um, how this is going to pan out. And I think you're going to see a very well-spoken young person that's going to be 45 moving to run for, for the president. You know, I don't know if Ron will finish out his term. Um, he's going to do what he thinks is right, you know, for the country, I hope. And then you have Trump and there's, there's a dichotomy there. You got a, a bull in the China shop that's charging ahead. And we can get into that after your break, if you want to. Yeah, it certainly is going to be uh, uh, different from the way it had been in the past when Trump had yeah. Republican rivals. Because Trump then really was, and we all welcomed him and we supported him, the only populist, if you will, who was listening to the people and wanted to break up the deep state, so to speak. Um, but we have the same guy here in this state who actually does it and, and does it with calm, steady, uh, structured approaches to battles he knows. or He doesn't fight every battle. That's another thing I've noticed, don't you think? He only fights those ones which are really the ones we need to fight to make the, the statement. Um, you know, he's not up there uh, swinging at windmills. You know, he's he's picking and choosing the battles. And that's another astute thing on his part. No, he definitely was that way. I mean, you look at what he did in Congress. It was kind of an unremarkable record. And, you know, he and I were classmates. But his focus was set higher, either the Senate, the governor and then president. I mean, he's had that focus. And so he was more astute, probably a smarter politician than I was, because I saw the fight at leadership level that we wanted to change the dynamics. And we got rid of Boehner. But unfortunately, 
we put Paul Ryan in there, and that was the worst vote I ever voted, voting for him for speaker. That was a big mistake. Uh, so if Ron can set an agenda for this country, if Ron is not beholden to any of these people that are controlling the electoral process, that puts in their candidate, uh, and he's going to stay independent and do what's right for the country, uh, Trump will have a hard time beating him, I think. Come and Ted Yoho, we were going to take a bottom of the hour break in just a couple of minutes here. And um, thank you for tuning in on the Wednesdays. We're very uh, much enjoy talking with Ted on Wednesdays and bringing a conversation to you that uh, perhaps you can't hear or get anywhere else. And we spend quite a bit of time with each other. Uh, so you can participate in uh, the chat line here and I'll pass the conversations along. We'll try to address your concerns. Uh, we're going to be talking about the weather when I come out of the break, which is Hopefully, we pretty much got the hurricane season out of the way, although it's left behind its uh, calling card and it's not been pretty. So, um, production, let's take a break here a couple minutes early on the Ward Scott Files, and uh, we'll be right back in a moment. Although the owner of Lewis Oil Company maintains she is 29, Lewis Oil turns 60 years old in June. Chevron would like to recognize the North Florida second-generation family-owned business, celebrating its growth and staying power. Lewis Oil Company maintains significant on-hand supplies, strategically located fuel depots, a delivery fleet, on-site service, fuel card locks, and convenience stores. Lewis Oil Company understands its responsibility in the local economy by providing service and delivery on demand and in crisis. As a first responder for 18 Florida counties and the southeast from Texas to Virginia, we are proud of this rare accomplishment. Lewis Oil delivers. This is Ward Scott, and I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, large enough to serve you, small enough to care. Melvin Law, the only official injury partner of the Florida Gators. Ward Scott Files Gold sponsors are Lewis Oil Company, Shoot GTR, On the Spot Dry Cleaners, RR Construction, and Style Cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.wardscottfiles.com and click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page or call my friend Freddie at 352-284-3733. Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Ward Scott Files. And remember, if you like the show, thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. May God have mercy on your soul. Or that very much surprises me that you've never been tased. You can't handle the truth! All bees poop. A warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Now for the weather brought to you by Lewis Oil. 
Welcome back to Ward Scott Files. Professor Ward Scott here in the Manly Warthog Man Cave inside the Melbourne Law Studio, protected by crime prevention, 24-7, 365. This is a weather report brought to you by a great uh, supporter, Lewis Oil, Wendell Lewis at Lewis Oil. And uh, I'm going to address a little bit of the fact that we're coming up on Thanksgiving. And by the way, I don't plan on doing a, a show on Thanksgiving Day nor the following Friday. Uh, we'll give you all a break from our astute conversations. Um, and we'll have a rerun and we'll have production pick out one of the, Ted, why are you laughing? <laughs> but if you're planning on traveling, and by golly, I tell you right now, I'm one dude who does not travel over these holidays. Uh, there's supposed to be, according to the weather reports I'm getting, some bad weather for traveling at Thanksgiving. Wouldn't you know it? And there are 54 million people are predicted to travel for Thanksgiving this year. It's going to be the busiest holiday. You know, COVID, the lid's kind of off of that. That's also factored in. It's the biggest travel period. In, uh, and this is uh, since this coronavirus pandemic. And uh, millions are going to take to the roads and they're going to get in the airplanes. And that uh, this weather is not going to be an absolute kind of uh, supportive uh, component of all this. It's uh, going to be uh, extremely cold in some places and snowy. And uh, you might have delays and travel plans might be interrupted. Uh, all the above, and I'm sure you're familiar with the weather delayed travel plans. Uh, most of the Western U.S., according to AccuWeather, uh, the long-range forecasters, uh, will be uh, travel disruptions all over the place there because of windy and snowy weather, uh, which I'm all for when I was skiing. I love that. Not the wind, but I love the snow on the mountains. The wind on the mountains is not something you want, uh, but it will be intense weather, uh, uh, and it uh, can get... Uh, kind of uh, heavy in places. So uh, that may be something you'll need to factor in. And so um, there are better travel forecasts for some of the places like Los Angeles, San Diego. But the farther east you go, it's going to be chilly, dry weather. I always kind of keep my eyes on what kind of weather uh, the Buffalo Bills are playing in uh, because they're at the end of the lake there. And if it's snowed in and cold as can be, and quite often this time of the year it is, uh, you know what that northeastern part of the United States is dealing with. So if you can catch a glimpse of the Buffalo Bills when they're uh, out on the TV, uh, you can tell pretty much what the weather is. Hopefully we're out of uh, we're out of the hurricane weather here. We, of course, are dealing with the fallout. I guess it's bad zoning. I, you know, I, you know, I, I I'm, I'm, is I'm the only one who reads the Bible. Don't build your house on sand. Uh <laughs> I mean, did they not read that? I mean, come on. And uh, yeah, there's a, that's in there for a reason. So uh, they built their house on sand. Now there's not only no any more houses, not any more sand. So <laughs> I don't know where we go with that. But anyway, uh, take uh, take your plans accordingly. Uh, think ahead about a week now if you're uh, going to travel somewhere and, and factor in possible weather conditions. We're back with Ted Yoho live here. And um uh, Ted was kind of laughing at me when I said a, a cute conversation. Said, hey, come on, man. I've got to give myself a plug. <laughs> so anyway, Ted, you had a couple of things you wanted to bring up, which I thought were pretty interesting. Uh, one was this uh, comparison to where is the money gone? Uh, the Hillary Foundation, nobody's ever gotten to the bottom of that thing. And that's not evidently uh, unusual in that world. No, it's not. And, um, you know, if you look at, how they handle different things. I mean, you, you look at Trump and what they've done to him and his kids and all that. They went after him 
on a concocted story that the Democrats did with Christopher Steele. The Democratic Party paid for that. Um, and the, the FBI paid Christopher Steele, who's a paid informant, has received over a million dollars from the FBI. And he made that fake dossier. And then you look at the Clinton or the Clinton Foundation, they raised billions of dollars. Um, that money was being spent loosely. I, I'll say that. But when it started to be investigated, uh, the foundation shuts down, the money evaporates, and they get a small fine. Um, and then you look at the, the Biden, Hunter Biden, and the things that go along with that, that gets pushed away. Anthony Weiner, that gets pushed away. I'm glad he's gone. But the stuff that was on his emails, we never heard the bottom of that. And so the stuff gets pushed away. But you bring out somebody like Trump, and they attack and attack and attack and attack and impeach him twice. Um, they won't let it go away. And so there's a, a, a double standard for sure. And it's by the people that are in charge. And there is a deep state. There's no doubt about that. Um, and um, let's see. You, you brought up the CFR. You said you have. Oh, no. Before I get into that, the um, the money's that's going into the uh, Democratic Party. Um, there's that company called FTX. The CEO was Sam uh, Bankman Freed. It was a cryptocurrency um, fungible um, uh, fund out there on, that you could trade in. He's given over a billion dollars to the Democratic Party, and he said that wasn't a ceiling. That was, you know, what they had put in there. And so you've got all this dark money coming in. And of course, that guy filed for bankruptcy. Uh, it came out that what they were doing was illegal. Then that company filed for bankruptcy immediately. So does that mean the investigation of where this money went, where it came from, how it got in there? Was there foreign money coming in from, you know, any country? Uh, how much Soros money was in there? Things like that. And we'll never probably know about that because, you know, those things, they just tend to fade away. You know, they don't get investigated like they should. Um, they, they fade away. And uh, it's influenced our politics in this country. And I hope when the Republicans get in charge that they do some quality investigations in their hit in their uh, committees, but yet they need to follow through with that. And then when they find a guilty person, they need to be penalized the way they should be like any you, like you and I would be. Well, you, you allude to a lot of interesting things, the uh, corruption of the institutions, um, they make a big deal, you know, about Trump and his handling of the documents when my understanding, and help me with this, the president is the one who classifies these things. Right. Um, and on the other hand, nobody's ever followed up on Hillary's private computer, which we just stumbled upon because of Anthony Weiner. We would never have known that had there not been a screw up at all places, wasn't it, at a uh, pawn shop. Uh, if I recall, it might have been involved, the pawn shop involved in that even. That I don't know how he, how he got discovered, but yeah, I, I know what you're saying. Yeah, and nothing's ever come of that. So nothing's we have this hypocrisy, and yet, by golly, they pull off control of the Senate in light, in, in, despite the fact that there are these known cover-ups, there's these known uh, examples of hypocrisy and double standards, corruptions of these institutions, and, and, and advertised overt um, desire to reconfigure the Supreme Court or from everything from packing it to term limits and the leak of that information on abortion, by the way, I don't know, I don't, 
why don't we know that? I mean, see, why don't we know? That tells me it was a liberal who did it. That if it was a conservative who did the it. Deep state, the deep state could have done that. I don't know. Um, but again, you don't hear any more about that. Who did that? Who's being held accountable for that leak? There was a person that did that. They know who that person is. What's the what's the fallout from that for that person? What's the ramification? Are they going to prison or, you know, what have they done for safeguards? And we, we've talked about a lot of issues here. You know, the leadership race, the um, not so much leadership race, but the outcome of the election when the Republicans should have had by all standards. Uh, as Newt Gingrich said, I think that the Republicans received five or six million more votes than the Democrats. And we only picked up a few seats. And um, that's the situation. What we have to do is how do we get out of here and how do we prevent it? How do we fix the problems? It's really where the focus needs to be. And it goes back to the leadership race. Kevin McCarthy will not be the person that does that. We need somebody up there that's an adult that says, we've got these five major problems in this country. We've got to fix our election system. And I know the states are going to say, well, the states decide their own election system. I agree with that on states, states' rights and on states' elections. But when it's a federal campaign, your House races, your Senate races, your presidential elections, I think the federal government should come in and say, this is how we're going to run federal elections in your state. And they need to usurp the states on that. And I know you're going to get some emails, people saying, you know, I'm going against the Constitution, but I don't think it is. Um, We've seen too many nefarious things happening at the state level. You know, like we were talking about the People's Choice Act, which morphed into the John Lewis Voting Rights Act. Um, You know, and we see the mess that that stuff has created. Um, So we need to focus on solutions and, you know, we can stay all day talking about problems, but that's not going to fix the solutions. We have a question. Is uh, is, uh, Nancy Pelosi done? (laughs) I think Miss Pelosi is done. I think she's ready to be done. Um, You know, I don't, I don't don't want to say I don't like her at all. Uh, You got to have a certain amount of respect for her, for what she has accomplished. I just don't like what she's accomplished because it's damaged my country. Um, But somebody that can stay the longevity that she has, she's very shrewd. I'll say that she's very shrewd at what she does. I just think she's wrong for this country. Uh, The thing I can never forgive her for is tearing up the State of the Union address as Trump was giving it. Tearing it up behind him. I think that is the most disgusting political behavior Hateful. that I've seen publicly since I've been around this stuff. You know? Yeah, I've never seen that before. And, um, you know, again, why was she got she away with it. Congress for that? Got away with it. Yeah. She got applauded yeah. for that. Yeah. I mean, it was just disgusting and childish. And, and, you know, got away with it. I'll never, I can see her doing it now, you know, and yeah. that to me summed the whole deal up. But um, nevertheless, you know, uh, she's around still wheeling the gavel. But um, I think, yeah, like you, I think that those days are gone. Yeah. So um, the whole international situation right now, you are pretty much involved with that through your committee experiences and your travels and your speaking tours, we've got a situation, as we know, Ukraine, Taiwan, any observations since we met last on that? Yeah. Um, 
I think the biggest thing is what happened last night with Poland uh, and the two missiles that went in there and killed some people. You know, I haven't heard anybody take claim for that. It's some, it, it's assumed that Russia did that, but as Russia normally does when they invaded Crimea back back four or five years ago, that was an army with no emblems on them. And so Russia said, hey, it's not our people, but it was their people. And they're always good at doing stuff and then saying, we didn't do it. It's just like when they were bombing in Ukraine, um, they were denying they were doing all that stuff. We know they did. And so with Poland being a strong NATO ally, Poland does not play around. And I think you're going to see some retaliation. And is that going to bring NATO more into the fight um, with Russia and Ukraine? Is that going to foment World War III? Let's hope it doesn't, because it'll be ugly what the weapons people have now on both sides. And then you brought up China. Xi Jinping just got reinstated or reelected as the premier of the Chinese Communist Party, president of China. So this is a third term, which he's broken um, uh, the form. You were supposed to, they were supposed to serve two five-year terms and then step down. So he stepped on beyond it, kind of like Franklin Roosevelt, another good Democrat uh, or socialist. Um, and um, so he's in power now, and he's hell-bent on taking back. I, no, he's hell-bent on attacking Taiwan to bring them into the Chinese fold. And Taiwan has never been a part of China. Um, they they sh- share the same culture, the Han Chinese but China, Taiwan was an independent country. It was recognized in the UN until the era of Jimmy Carter, you know, our great president, Jimmy Carter, who uh, uh, turned over the Panama Canal to the uh, Panamanians after we built it. And so our foreign policy has really run askew. And at this point in time in, in our world history, uh, you've heard me say this before, we're at a tectonic, sh- there's a tectonic shift in world powers. And China wants to be the world hegemon. They want to be in control of everything. They view themselves as the center of the universe, and they are acting on that, you know, with their military might that they've uh, amassed, uh, their economy. And uh, every time we buy a product from China or made in China, it makes them stronger. We have also a public display of commitment to so-called climate change, and that certainly plays into the hands of the geopolitical structure and view of how things should be run sometimes known as a Council on Foreign Relations, correct? Uh, seeing a globalist kind of um, government, which would not be in the best interest of us. Where we stand on that? I, I, to me, it's just when Biden shows up at one of these things, it's kind of posturing. It, it doesn't have any, I don't, I can't see any change. In, That's in a joke. After- I mean, they, they, the, the world leaders, when I talk to my friends up in D.C., they said Biden's a joke. They Everybody knows he's a uh, empty suit and he's just a puppet you know um he he talks strong but he has no backbone um you know and i I think of obama drawing the red line with syria and uh, president assad um and he didn't stand behind that so our foreign policy when the world looks at us uh they're like these guys they've been they were great at one time but they're waning now and um joe biden to be at the helm of this at this point in time is very dangerous because I think you will see China move on Taiwan and that's going to be ugly because we have the Taiwan Relations Act that says we will come and provide the defense, enough defense um, material 
for Taiwan to defend itself. So there's going to be a lot of people that die if that happens. And I'm hoping that Xi Jinping will think differently and leave Taiwan alone and embrace their success instead of trying to squash it. All you got to do is look at what they did to Hong Kong. Um, Hong Kong's economy has tanked. Um, so many things have changed over there when Hong Kong used to have the highest life expect- expectancy on the planet and one of the highest living standards in the world. Uh, it's changed a lot since China has taken that over. Uh, twenty, I think it was 28 years before they were supposed to. Well, you're traveling soon to have a presentation. Um, can we talk a little bit about that group of people and what they're interested in? Yeah, I've been invited to go up to New York to speak to the uh, South Korean delegation and policymakers on the results of our election, you know, with the makeup of the new Congress, how that's going to affect South Korean Interesting. Interesting. And the relationship with Japan. And a lot of people may not understand, not realize this, but South Korea and Japan, there's not a high likability between those two countries. Um, you know, there was atrocities that Japan did to the South Koreans. They enforced, they put a lot of the women in what we call the, uh, what was referred to as comfort women. They were made to be prostitutes to service the uh, Japanese military men. Um, Japan's uh, apologized for that. They put millions of dollars into funds uh, to support these women. Um, but there's still bad blood there. And it's kind of like the South and the North in this country, the, you know, the, the remnants of the Civil War that you still feel in this country uh, or slavery that you still feel in this country, even though that was over 150 years ago. Um, that still goes on. But the important thing with that relationship with Japan and South Korea and us, it's a trilateral arrangement, and it's one of the strongest outside of NATO as far as countering what's going on in China. And if we don't have that right, the rule of law in that area is weakened when it comes to international treaties. Um, and it's it's a good pushback against the aggression of China. And so I'll be going up there and speaking about that. And I've been fortunate that, you know, we had some pretty good experience on foreign affairs and um uh, you know, uh, we're going to share that our experience with what we see coming down the pike uh, as far as the relationships between those three countries. Well, I remember you had a, a relationship with them for quite a while because when I was up to see you, oh uh, golly, you know, several years ago, there were a crowd of people outside waiting to come in your office. And when I went in, I said, Ted, who are all those people out there? And you said they're from South Korea. And they want to make sure we're still with them. And I, right. I can't remember what at that time, you know, made them. Was, have a sense of, what was it? Something kicked off a sense of urgency. And what was going on then? Trump was going to pull out of the South Korea trade deal. Oh, okay. Uh, he had announced he was going to do that. And we, I was over in South Korea at the time. And they are all up in arms and said he's going to pull out of this. I said, listen, the guy's a salesman. He's going to give you his offer. You're going to counter and you'll come to terms and you're going to stay. I said, you're our sixth largest trading partner. It'd be ludicrous to run you guys off. And uh, sure enough, that was Friday, Saturday, when I'm in the plane to come back to the States. It was in the paper that Trump pulled out of the course deal, which, of course, K-O-R-U-S is a Korea-U.S. free trade deal. Um, so I wrote a letter. I penned a letter on the plane coming home and asked the president to respectfully um, reconsider for these reasons. Number one, they're our sixth largest trading partner. Number two, they're a Western democracy. 
Number three, if we pull away from them, they have no choice but to get closer to China, which will empower China, not just economically, but empower them militarily and allow them to expand more. And I said, but it's not just South Korea. You're going to see Japan, how we treat our sixth largest trading partner, kind of reconsider their alignment with the United States. And it's not just that. It's There's a block of country called ASEAN, the Association of Southeast Asian Nations. There's 10 countries um, like Philippines, Cambodia, Vietnam, uh, Indonesia, Malaysia, and all those, which represents, I think it's 653 million people. There's over $4 trillion in trade in that block. They are going to look at how America treated their sixth largest trading partner and realize that America is not going to support them. So they're going to get closer to China, which, again, plays into China's hand economically and militarily. So um, with that, I got invited to the White House with a very select few people. And uh, I got to share that with the president. And all I know is we stayed in the course deal. So I know it didn't hurt. (laughs) Well, that's that's a good story. And very few people probably know that one. That's a very good story. Yeah, very few people know that, but I know it, and I feel good about it because I think we did have a hand in our foreign policy in a good way. And so that's why that 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 relationship between the United States, South Korea, and Japan is so critical. And we've got bases, obviously, in both countries. More importantly, we train together, and there's what we call interoperability. So if uh, South Korean is in charge. They, can, they know how all the pieces work between a, uh, Japan and America and vice versa. If we're in charge, all of our we're on the same communication systems, the same military equipment and all that. So it's a very strong ally. And uh, that's what keeps North Korea in check. And that's what keeps China in check somewhat. Um, but if you don't have strong leadership at the helm, uh, and it was strong under Trump and the, the rhetoric, people didn't like the way he did things, but they liked the results. And uh, they respected that. You know, you don't have to like a person to respect what they're doing. And that's what we saw with uh, Trump with that arrangement. And we also saw that with NATO, too. Speaking of NATO, do you know the latest on whether or not Turkey is still blocking the entrance of Finland and Sweden into the NATO? Yeah, Turkey has been a a rough partner in NATO. Um, They're a strong country. you saw a plane, one of the Russian planes fly into Turkey probably four years ago. They immediately shot it out of the air. I mean, they don't play around. And I think, you know, people need to know where you stand. It's We don't need to talk about and scold another country for crossing that red line. You just need to take their planes out. And um, Turkey is still blocking that. And I think part of that is they get a lot of their military equipment from Russia. And um which is which is weird because they're a NATO ally, but they get a lot yeah. of their military equipment from Russia, as does uh, India. Uh, and there's several other countries that you wouldn't think of it, but they get military equipment from Russia. But they're NATO allies. I never could figure out how they came to be in NATO. And they're not a European landmass, uh, contiguous type of borders that they share. Um, they're in a kind of strange... Uh, connectivity there between um, the the European world and uh, the Asian world, I suppose you could describe it as, or the Central yeah. world. And I don't know the history on how they got involved in NATO, but um, it's proven to be problematic. It's not a slam dunk. Everybody else on the continent of Europe seems to be committed to protecting each other because they've been through 
the battles with Germany and Russia and all that. And they remember sure. that. Yeah, um, Turkey's kind of like the burr under the saddle. <laughs> it's, yeah. You know, it's there, or the pebble in your shoe. It's, they're there and they're strong. And when they're with you, it's a good thing. But when they speak out against you, it's, uh, you know, they make it for a very tenuous situation. Where are we staying? Well, guys, we can close out on this um, with our relationships with uh, the word I get is Saudi Arabia kind of views Biden as a joke. Um, the fist bump is referred to quite often in the press as a kind of hollow gesture between Biden and the, the ruler of Saudi Arabia. Um, it seems they, they play all sides against each other to come out ahead because they're holding all the cards. They got the oil. Huh? Yeah, and I don't understand the dynamics there, but it's not just Saudi Arabia that views them as a joke. You know, you, you can look at the president of South Korea, call them, uh, I think they call them an F&M, uh, an effing moron or something like that. Uh, the Americans, and especially Biden. Um, but Saudi Arabia is not going to bow down to Biden. And Biden thinks because he's Joe Biden and the president of the United States that, you know, they should give him alms as he walks into the room. And they have shown them, no, they don't. Uh, they're not going to do that. And the scary thing here, Ward, is when Biden moved ahead with the energy policies that he did and pretty much neutered our oil production in this country. Then he goes to Venezuela, he goes to Saudi, he goes to Iran, wanting more oil, the very thing that we have a, an abundance of, but he's going to get it from these other countries. And China, or China uh, purchases the majority of the Saudi oil. It goes to China. So the uh, MBS or S uh, Salam, uh, the, the leader of Saudi Arabia, MBS, I think it is, um, he worked out a deal with China. And not only did he work out the deal that they're going to buy the oil, but they're going to pay for it in the Chinese form of currency. The danger here is the U.S. dollar has been the petrodollar. And it's the world reserve currency. This is going to jeopardize the dollar. It's going to weaken the effect of the dollar being the world currency. And a lot of these countries are going to say, you know what? It's time to go from the dollar's world reserve currency to this other currency, the Chinese currency. And when that happens, you're going to see the devaluation of our dollar happen quickly. It'll fall like FTX did um, overnight. And uh, wow. You know, we've talked about that before. In fact, one of your benefactors you and I spoke with, and he'd been in three countries where the dollar collapsed or the, their currency collapsed. And they had 30 days to trade it in, and it, it dropped from 100% to 20%. And you had 30 days to trade in your dollars or your currency, and then it went to zero. And, um, you know, people don't think that can happen, but it can happen overnight. And that's why your strong foreign policies are so critical. You've got to have strong foreign policy so you don't get into those situations. Wow, what a way to conclude the show on that note. We'll have to take that up. That was a high note, wasn't it? Well, I'm telling you, you've got me now with all the other midterm disappointments. Now you got me worried about uh, where's Johnny Paycheck when we need him? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, yeah, really, take this job and shove it. That's why it's so critical to have a speaker in the House that is going to direct policies and change the direction we're going. We're writing your name in. We're writing your name in. Well, by God, you. tell everybody send it in, and I'll serve to the best of my ability if I get elected. <laughs> and not term limit yourself this time, okay? But having a delightful conversation with Ted Young, I really enjoyed our Wednesdays. 
Uh, we'll be back together again next Wednesday. And then Ward Scott Files will take a break on Thursday and Friday. And after that, I believe that uh, Ted, we'll touch base with Ted. I think he's been traveling that following day. He'll travel in a couple of weeks uh, here. Following day. So uh, uh, maybe we can find some weak substitute. I don't know if there's one out there. But by then, he may be the Speaker of the House for crying out loud. That's what we really well, need. I tell you what, wouldn't that rattle some cases? I'm up telling you what. Appreciate you having me on. You would still have to be a host on Wednesday as the Speaker of the House, okay? <laughs> I wonder if I can do it from the rostrum up there or the DS up there. Absolutely. We'll work that out. We'll make that happen. Have a great day. Warthog Command Center out.